over and say, I prayed. I prayed that I'd sit next to you. I prayed long and I prayed. I fasted. I fasted that I would sit next to you. Amen. Future spouse, you never know. Hey, I, I heard an email that, from a, a girl who raised her hand. Raise your hand if it's your first time at Young Adults. Amen. Can we give them a hand? And her email read as follows. She said, hey, Jess, just wanted to say thank you. I raised my hand the first time I came to Young Adults, and my now fiancé was like, oh, hey, girl. And afterwards, he pursued her in the lobby, and they're getting married this summer. So, amen? <laughs> I don't care. I want y'all to get married, and I want you to marry nice Christian people. So I don't care. I'm up here just selling it. I don't even feel bad about it. I hope you guys are enjoying summer. Hope you're enjoying summer. You smell like sunscreen. Some of you look tan. Some of you are like, I hate my job. All I do is sit inside, and so I'm sorry. But there will come a moment. You'll just, you know, you'll quit, walk out, and get a suntan, you know? And so you'll, it'll happen for you. It'll happen. Um, hey, I thought Luke Gregory did such a great job last week. But um, Amen. <laughs> But he did something to all of us that deeply wounded me and offended me, and here's what it was. He had all of us pray for the Detroit Red Wings. And um, if you are a Coloradan, nay, an American, you need to pray for Luke to get saved. Because, like, I mean, like, the Red, like, they're just letting anybody on staff now? The Red Wings? Like, what in tarnation, man? So we, 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 we bind that, that prayer in Jesus' name, and we cast it off. We will, never, we will never pray for them. We're abs people in here. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you, Luke. No, he killed it. Last week was so awesome. If you missed it, you can go online and hear it. Um, and it was just so great. I just loved it. We love having um, just, we have just such a wide um, array of people that are so gifted and so talented and so able to preach to you guys. And so it was um, just the best. But we are in a new series called Imitators, Imitators. And what we wanted to do this summer was we wanted to focus on us becoming more like God, looking more like Jesus and looking a little bit less like ourselves. Looking more like him and looking a little bit less like the world. And Ephesians says this about our sanctification. It says this about us being imitators. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You, when you get saved, you get saved into a process of becoming more like Jesus. You get saved into a process of becoming every day and every hour more and more like him and looking a little bit less like you did the year before. And the Bible says, become imitators of God. This is a becoming process. This is a process. You become an imitator of God. And then it says, beloved children. And most of you in here, you don't have kids, and so you don't know this, but children are always looking to their father or to their mother for what they are to imitate. And we know this, my husband and I, we know this because we have two little girls. And so right now, their whole world, whether we're great role models or not, is about watching us and then imitating what we do, right? And so on Thursday nights, John will sometimes drum here, and he gets done, and he gets out of the drum cage, and then Brooklyn climbs in, and she's like, douche, 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 because she sees her father do it. 
Right now, uh, we have a two-year-old. Her name's Georgia, and, and she has a way of saying thank you. And she goes, thanks, mama. Thanks, dada. And it's like up. And I realize that she does this because when I say thanks, I go, oh, thanks. And it's always up. I go, thanks. And it's always up here. Like, thanks. It's always up. It's never like, thank you. It's never that. It's always up. And so I realize like she is doing that because she hears me talk and she imitates it. And the other day, um, Brooklyn was walking with a bowl of cereal into the living room and she tripped and she fell, right? And she dumped the cereal all over the place and she let out an expletive that you can't say at church, right? Because we're all becoming more like Jesus. And I was like, and so obviously she was imitating her father in that moment, right? <laughs> no, but seriously, every morning I get ready Every morning I get ready, and when I do, I get my makeup brushes out, and I brush my hair, and you know, we do the whole thing, and as I do that, my little girls kind of gather around me, and they grab my makeup brushes, and my hair brushes, and the whole thing, and they pretend to be like me. Oh, no, it's all right. That's all right. Go ahead and look at it. That's okay. Um, that's important stuff. And so she will, she will gather around me, and they'll get out their makeup brushes, right, and they will kind of look at the, what I do with like an eyelash curler and they will do the same thing. In fact, I think we have a picture here of Brooklyn in my heels because every time I get ready in the morning, they pull out my heels, both of them do, and then they kind of truck around in my heels. They watch what we do, they watch how we talk, they watch the way that we live our lives and then they imitate it. And God says that the way that we are to be as Christians, the way that he would like us to live is in a way where we look, the person that we are to look to, the person that we are to be like is Jesus himself. And the goal is, is that as we look to him, we become more and more and more like him. And according to Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2 God's goal is that over time you begin to act like Jesus and you begin to look like Jesus and talk like Jesus so much that you actually have the fragrance of Jesus and you begin to smell like him. And so I titled tonight, You Smell Like Jesus. <laughs> and so turn to your neighbor and hopefully they smell all right and just say, you smell so nice. You smell so nice. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Pray for God to be here, all right? God, we thank you. God, we thank you for the young adults of Denver. We thank you for every young adult in this room. We pray that you be uh, with us tonight and that you would just speak to us in such a personal and profound way. God, I pray that the people that are in this room, that they would feel loved by you. I pray that the people watching online, they would feel loved by you. They would never feel condemned as they pursue holiness, God, but that we would feel the empowering of the Holy Spirit as we become more like you. God, teach us to remain in you so that we actually are your fragrance to this world. We love you, God. It's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, you ever have a friend or a family member that has a distinct smell, a good smell, a pleasant smell, and um, has a distinct smell, and so every time you are with them, like you know their fragrance, right? Like maybe you have a grandma, and every time you go to her house, right, you show up at her house, and you, you, know, you walk in the door. The moment you walk in the door, it kind of smells like flowers and like pies, right? And you're like, oh my God, I love grandma's smell, you know? Or you've got a friend and maybe it reminds you every time you're at your friend's house, it kind of reminds you even now that you're in your 20s, it reminds you of being children. 
You know, you can kind of like almost even smell the video games and like the fun that you had. Like you can smell it from their house. And some of you, you know, you help out with youth on Wednesday nights and so you're like, I know some people who smell, <laughs> right? Because you walk into a room of like three or 400 like pubescent teens, right? And like, they, so they've got like the hormone BO, do you know what I'm talking about? And like, but then they like cover it up with like Axe body spray, like a gallon of it. You know what I'm talking about? You walk in there, it's like, whoa, dude. And some of you leaders, you need to have the kindness to like sit a brother down like a 13-year-old brother and just be like, hey, bud, that polo sport, look, a little goes a long way, okay? And so, but you don't say that because you're like, it's fine. He's 13. And so he just, it's like, you know, and he could like baptize his friends in what he's wearing. You know what I'm saying? Like so much. But I'm not talking about like that kind of a smell. I'm actually talking about good smells. I'm talking about pleasant smells. Like when you walk in and instantly you have certain kinds of memories and you have certain kinds of um, moments and you have a comfort almost just because of the way that a place kind of smells. In fact, there was a song that was written a few years ago by 21 Pilots and it says this. It says, sometimes a certain smell will take me back to when I was young. How come I can never identify where it's coming from? I'd make a candle out of it. If I ever found it, I'd try to sell it. I'd never sell out. I'd only sell one. I'd sell it to my brother because we have the same nose, same clothes, homegrown, a stone's throw from a creek we used to roam. It would remind us of when nothing really mattered. Out of treehouse homes and, or out of student loans and treehouse homes, we would rather take the latter. And Tyler Joseph wrote that song, and what he was writing about was a scent that literally made him feel like he remembered everything about his childhood again. And what we know scientifically is that our, our olfactory sense, it is the most ancient and it is the most powerful sense out of your five senses. It is directly related to your memory center and to the center that controls the emotions in your brain. And so because of that, it is a deep influencer of you whether you know it or not. Whether you know it or not, it has the ability to make you instantaneously feel very comfortable, or it has the ability to make you feel instantaneously very uncomfortable. And companies know this. Million dollar, billion dollar companies know this, and so they've started investing loads of money into making their lobbies and different you know, places smell a certain way. If you go to Vegas this weekend, which you can if you want, but <laughs> I'm just kidding but don't go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but seriously, go. High five some people. I don't know how to exit this joke. All right, so <laughs> I, don't know how to, I don't know what to do. Um, but if you go to a lobby, if you go to a casino and you go to the lobby, it smells a certain way. It smells like, it smells so pleasant and like subliminally inviting so that you go in without thinking about it. And you're like, well, this is nice and pleasant. And you spend all your money there. <laughs> Just recently in 2010, advertisers started making billboards that actually smelled a certain way. This is true. Um, and so there was one for uh, beef, like a certain kind of beef, and it smelled like steak. And so all the vegetarians driving by were like, you know, <laughs> so upset. There was another one that was for ice cream, and this is kind of cool. They made the entire billboard smell like a fresh waffle cone. And when I read that, I was like, that's awesome. I'm going to buy it right now. But our sense of smell is so powerful. 
It is so deeply, subliminally, subconsciously influencing of our lives that it makes it possible for um, it to kind of say something without saying something. And for those of you who know you have a grandma who you walk in her house and it smells like pie, like you know when you hug her, you spend time with her, you spend a lot of time with her maybe. And you go home and you smell your shirt later on that afternoon and you smell like flowers and you smell like pies. And what God would like, young adult, is he would like for you to be spending so much time with Jesus, be spending so much time in the presence of God, becoming more and more and more like Jesus, so much time, so much so, that eventually you begin to smell like him and that you would affect the olfactory senses of the world just by showing up. (laughs) You would walk into a room, and before people even knew what was going on, they would sense grace and peace. They would sense authority and power, and they wouldn't know what it was, but they would know it's comforting. It says this in the Passion Translation, and I love this translation um, of the Bible. It says this in Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God in everything that you do, for then you will represent your Father as beloved sons and daughters. Continue to walk surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ, for he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. His great love for us was pleasing to God, like an aroma of adoration. Wow. A sweet healing fragrance. What would it be like if the Church of America decided it was going to look so much like Jesus, walk so much like Jesus, that we were a sweet healing aroma to the United States of America? What would it look like? It says this in 2 Corinthians. This is the New King James Version. It says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are saved and among those who are perishing. God wants you to smell like Christ in a spiritual sense. He wants you to absolutely overwhelm the senses of the people around you with how much you look and feel and taste like Christ. And that when you enter into a room without even saying something, they immediately feel something that reminds them of a God that they deeply need to know. In Acts, we read about some people that are just like this. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts 4. And we're going to read about some men who spent so much time with Jesus and spent so much time in his presence and were so transformed by the Holy Spirit that everybody knew who they were and where they came from. And so this is uh, chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this. And as they were speaking to people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they had been teaching the people. Excuse me. Aw, dang. One sec. dang. I'm always going to bring my Bible up, even if this is what happens. Dang, never. Embarrassed. So embarrassing. You people watching online are like, uh, gah. And I'm like, I know, I'm embarrassed too of myself. <laughs> and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So not only are they saying, yo, Jesus raised from the dead, this is what they're saying. They're saying, in Jesus, 
y'all can raise from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the priestly family. And when it was set, um, and when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power and by what name did you do this? Because they had just healed a crippled dude. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed that we did to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people in Israel that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. They're all like, okay. <laughs> whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected again by you. The builders, which became the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven among which men may be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they are uneducated, uncommon men. And they were astonished. And they recognized, they recognized, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were astonished and they recognized that these two men had power and had authority so much so that they recognized that there was an essence to them and, and that it came from them being with Jesus. They were so like Jesus. They talked so much like Jesus. They had the authority of Jesus that when people looked at them, they said, whoa, they've been with him. And God's goal for you and for me is that we would be becoming like him. That we would be becoming like Jesus. That's what the goal of this entire series is about, is that you and I would be like him. See, because salvation is amazing, church. Salvation is so cool. You raised your hand here at church. Amen. Maybe you got saved when you were five. Maybe you got saved on the front porch of somebody's house and, you know, you surrendered to God in that moment. I don't know what that moment was for you. Surrendering to God and salvation is so cool. But listen to me. Salvation is not the end goal of God's plan for your life. Salvation is the starting point at which God has for you to begin. In fact, Malcolm Smith puts it this way. He says, salvation is a crisis that leads to a process of becoming more like God. And listen, that crisis, we know what this is like, right? Where you hit a moment in your life where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I don't have what it takes. My life stinks apart from God. I need to surrender all that I am to something bigger than myself. And so it is a crisis that you come to salvation. And then it leads to a process of you becoming just like him. And this is God's goal for you and for me is that we would become more like Jesus. And this process is called sanctification. And if you're in here and you've been, you know, involved with church a little bit, you may not have heard this term. If you've been, you know, in theology classes or you've like read a few books, you're like, oh my God, sanctification, you know, and you're so excited. <laughs> And you're like, I hope she talks about post-trib and pre-tribulation rapture after this. You know, you're like so excited, right? You're like, let's go, you know? But <laughs> I'm sorry. I went to a Christian school, and so I love making fun of us. Um, 
But sanctification, as defined by Merriam-Webster's, is a process of you, one, becoming more holy, two, becoming set apart, or you being graced by God to grow towards God. And so for the sake of tonight, this is what I will call sanctification. It is the process of being set apart for God and being made into his likeness. The goal that God has for you and for me is that we would become more and more, minute by minute, hour by hour, like Jesus and less like the world and less like our old selves. Now the problem is, is that there isn't a person in here that doesn't want that. Like, I could pick out any one of you. I could pick up anybody that's watching online, and I could say, hey, do you want to be more like Jesus? And you would be like, yes. And I would be like, do you know how? And you would be like, no. (laughs) Right? Because it's almost like the church, and, and you know, we'll take responsibility for this. The church at large really hasn't maybe done a great job of showing it what it means to be sanctified. Not only that, but I think we kind of take our cues from the world, and so we think that being sanctified is something that we do to ourselves. Amen? And so we think, man, here's what I want to be more holy. I want to be more like Jesus, and so it is time that I sanctify myself. And the way that we do this is by implementing a list of do's and do nots, right? And we say, okay, here's all of the things that I'm not going to do if I want my mouth to be more holy then I am no longer, this is my no list. I'm not going to cuss no more. And I'm not going to gossip no more. And no more slander and no more backbiting, right? Or maybe you want to get your finances in order, right? And so you're like, okay, then it means no more buying things I don't need. And it means no more credit cards. Or maybe for you, it's, you know, overcoming your lust. And so you're like, no more looking at that stuff. And then you set out trying to make that happen for you and yet we know that the moment that you put something on the do not touch list or the you know off limits list is the moment you want it right I mean guys in here you could not like care less about a girl right and then you find out like some dudes into her and like all of a sudden they're dating and you're like wow well she really was kind of (laughs) cute right Girls, same thing. You're like, oh, I, oh, yeah, he's just a nice boy. You know, he's just a nice guy. And then all of a sudden he's engaged and you're like, oh, dang. Because <laughs> you can't hide him no more. You know, you're so upset. The moment you can't have it is the moment you want it. The moment it's off limits is the moment that it's appealing to you. The reason I know this is because I have a four-year-old. And I will be like, Berlin Diane. She won't even notice like this set of pens and they're like permanent marker pens. And I'll be like, Berlin Diane, don't touch those pens. Use your crayons, okay, baby? And all of a sudden her eyes are just like. (laughs) And then I catch her and she's like drawing on my table. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'll be like, Brooklyn, don't touch your sister. And she's like, like she can't even help herself. You know what I mean? The other day we were making waffles and I was like, Brookie, baby, I said, this waffle maker is so hot, okay? It's super hot. You can't touch it. No touching, okay? And I turn around, I grab the syrup and she's like, like, I kid you not. She's like, ah! I'm like, what did you, what? Intarnation, man. (laughs) And it's almost as if, church, it's almost as if she can't help herself. That the moment something is a no is the moment that she feels so much like she needs to do it. And for you and for me, we are the same. (laughs) In fact, the Bible 
says that this is something that is in each and every single one of us. It says this in Romans 7. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions, were, um, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work within us. And so we bore fruit for death. So the law, essentially, is a list of do not do's in order to be holy. And the Bible says that our sinful passions are actually aroused by a list of no's. This is why the moment you say, don't do that anymore, Jess, or don't do that anymore, Bob, is the moment you're like, I really, I really need to, I really want to do that thing. I want to do that, whatever that is. Paul said this. He says, the thing I do not want to do, I do. And the thing that I do want to do, I don't do. There is something in us. And according to Romans, it is our flesh and it is aroused by a list of no's. And yet we keep at it, right? And we treat our sanctification like it's a, like it's a you know, New Year's resolution. We just keep at it. We're like, okay, here's the goal. I want to be more holy, and I want to be more like Jesus, and I want, man, so I'm going to try real hard, right? And so it's like our New Year's resolution, and we're like, all right, we're going to get healthy. And, we're, and so and we make lists. No more DiGiorno's. <laughs> you know? And we set out, and we start working out more. And, and for a couple of weeks, it is working out well for us. For a couple of weeks, it's going okay. And then we're sitting one night, we're watching TV, and a King Supers commercial comes on, and it's like DiGiorno's, twofers, right? It's like two for one. And you're like, oh, and like the cheese looks so good. And, you know, and the pepperonis are all salty. And like you start, so you run to the store, you get, the two, you get two, because it's buy one, get one, you know? And you go home. And you eat both the pizzas. <laughs> and you feel so miserable about yourself, don't you? You feel so chunky and you're like, oh God. If you're being honest, we have these thoughts. Wait, wait, wait. We have these thoughts. And we're like, well, then why even try? And so we go to these Christian conferences, right? And we go, we come hear a sermon on a Sunday. And we're like, all right all right, this is the week. And we like make our list and we're like, no more whatever. And we set out and within a couple of weeks, our list fails us. And we're so disillusioned and so disappointed. We're like, God, I look less like you than I did like four weeks ago when I wasn't trying. And God says, I know, I know, because that system, oh, and I don't have time to describe it, but man, that system was always broken, which is why Jesus came in the first place. And he came not just to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. He is unable, we are unable to do it. And so I don't have time. I don't have time for this whole sermon, but listen, God understands that this system will never work for you. And so he gives you a better way. Praise him. Praise him. Eight percent of people who start out on their New Year's resolutions, they never, they, they're the only ones that make it. Ninety-two percent of people fail. It's the same way for us when we pursue sanctification as a list of no's, don't do this, and a list of yes, do this, and we try to sanctify ourselves. And so God wants us to give us a different way. And he said, I came to give you a whole new way. 
completely different from the world, completely different from self-help books, completely different from behavioral management systems. And so I want to talk through a couple of ways that God is going to sanctify you and me this summer. The first thing is this, is that when we become more righteous, when we become more holy and like Jesus, it is a received righteousness. It is a received righteousness. See, we know that our self-effort isn't working out super great for us in the holiness era. In the area. And so God knows this, and so he gave us a different way. It says this in 1 Corinthians 1. It says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let no one boast who boasts in the Lord. Okay, what this verse is saying, it is by him. What it's saying is God, it is by the power of God that you were saved and that you were placed in Christ. And so before God, before Jesus, you were actually in Adam. I'm going to do a little theology lesson just real quick with you, okay? You guys cool with that? You're smart people. Let's do this, all right? Before Jesus, you were in Adam. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 talk about this. And so Adam was the very first human being. He um, sinned with his wife, and all of humanity fell at that point. Adam was spiritually degenerative, meaning his inside man did not have a spirit that was alive, okay? Not only that, but he was bound to the power of sin because of the fall. And he was bound to sin, and therefore he bore fruit for death. All of these things are very, very bad, okay? When you were born as a baby, this is you. You were born in Adam. Not because you did anything wrong, not because you made bad choices, just because you were born in him. The Bible says that when Jesus died and he raised again, by the power of God, nothing you did, nothing I did, you were then placed in Christ. Every attribute that you had prior to Christ was every attribute of Adam. You had, you and I had a degenerative spirit prior to Christ. You and I had a binding to the power of sin. You and I had, we were slaves to sin before Christ. And this was because we were in Adam. But because of the power of God at work through the cross and the resurrection, we were placed in Christ. And now we have exchanged our identities completely. And so every attribute that you now have is no longer in Adam. If you are in here and you are saved, you are now in Christ. And therefore, you have his grace, you have his holiness, you have his power, you have his authority, and it is not because of anything you have done. It is because you have received it as a free gift from God. 1 Corinthians 1 says this, it says, it is because of him that you are in Christ, and because he became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So it is written, let no one boast who boasts in the, um, let anyone who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, anybody who's in here would say, I was saved by Jesus, right? If you were saved, you were saved by God. Amen. And not, nobody in here would say, I saved myself. No one would say that. You wouldn't say, oh man, I saved myself. It was so amazing. You wouldn't say, I got up on a cross and I bled for myself. You wouldn't say it was by my power that I said, no. And so what this verse is saying is it is also by the power of God, not by your power, not by my power, that you are made like him that you are sanctified, that you are made into his likeness. It is by God's power that you are sanctified. It is a received 
not achieved righteousness. And I think for you and for I, this is like a super foreign concept and almost too good to be true, and I understand. Because the way that we think about it, we wouldn't think, man, we would never think like we are self-righteous, right? Like we don't look down on people. We're not like the Pharisees. We don't judge people. But listen to you and listen to me tonight. I think a whole bunch of us probably feel like we have a self-made righteousness. Where if we are going to be holy or if we are going to be more like Jesus, it's up to us, right? And yet Galatians says that couldn't be further from the truth. Galatians 3 says this, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by, leave, by leaving what you've heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by me, means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Here's what this verse is saying, and I've said this before. It would be like you drowning, and Jesus comes, and he saves you, okay? And he's like, I got you, because you're unable to swim. You don't know how to swim. You, like, never learned to swim. And so he's like, I got you, and he saves you. Now, what we think in our mind is that at that point, us living out the Christian life is up to us. And so we're like, Jesus, thanks for that. Love the little like flotation device you gave me. I got it from here, right? And we like take off. And what the Bible is saying is if you began in the spirit, why would you then try to finish in self-effort? If you began in the spirit, then why would you try to finish this race through yourself? The only way that you can do it is by the power of God. Our sanctification, therefore, is an imparted, not an achieved righteousness. Righteousness is received, not achieved. To which you say, oh my goodness, that sounds crazy. To which I say, I know, he's just that good. And so in Acts 4, it says that the Spirit of God was on these men. And so they become, they come before, you know, um, before the men that essentially put Jesus to death. They come before Annas and, and, and Caiaphas and all these dudes, and they begin preaching the gospel to them. And when they do so, they have a boldness and they have an audacity and they have a power. And it is not, listen to me, it is not an arrogance. And it is not a machissimo. It is not a, um, man, it is not a self-made confidence. It is a received power from the Holy Spirit. And so they are able to do this. Two chapters earlier, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell on the upper room. And when it did that, um, the Holy Spirit came in, it rushed like a wind through the city of Jerusalem, and it fell on these men. And when it did so, they walked out and they preached the gospel, and the Bible says that 5,000 people got saved. And so they are able then to walk out their calling because of the Holy Spirit at work in them. And they are able to speak the words that they are speaking because of the power of God that is now in their lives. And they are able to do what they do and obey God the way that they are obeying God because of God's ability in them. And this is what it says in Philippians 2. It says, for it is God who works in you, meaning anybody in here who's saved, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know what that's saying? God doesn't just give you the ability to obey him through his power, church. He actually gives you the will to obey him. This is so good, and it's such good news, and it's so foreign to a whole bunch of us. This is how God operates. He saves us, and then it's by his power that we become more like him. To which you might say, okay, Jess, that sounds super good. That sounds super awesome. Um, but I'm kind of like a type A personality. And I kind of like being able to like be in control of my destiny. And so what's my job? Like, what do I do? 
To which we say, well, this is what you do then as a Christian. The second key to becoming more like Jesus, the first one is that you receive his righteousness. The second one is this, is that you reckon his righteousness is true. You reckon the resurrected life. So as Peter and John are preaching, and they are preaching to all of these men, listen, these men are terrifying men. They are men who weeks prior just crucified Jesus. They crucified a man who did nothing wrong and didn't bat an eye. And so they're not going to have a problem, you know, offing two of his followers. They're not going to have a problem with that at all. And so as John is preaching and Peter is preaching, everybody in the room knows how this thing is going to go down. And yet they have this boldness and this audacity and this like ferocity and what they have a ferociousness towards and where their authority and their confidence comes from. Listen, it comes from the event of watching Jesus be resurrected. See, because they had seen, albeit from afar, Jesus die. And then they had seen with their own eyes, albeit after the women came and told them, the tomb was empty. And then they actually saw Jesus on the beach making them breakfast a few days later. And they knew that he died. Like they saw it. And they knew that the man standing before him was a, resur- was a brand new person. And they knew it. And so they come before Caiaphas and all these dudes, and they're like, we're just going to tell you what we know because we know that we know that we know. Listen, Christians, the resurrection has such severe implications for our lives. (laughs) It actually took place. And because of that, Jesus is everything he said he was. And because of that, he is the perfect representation of an invisible God that the world longs to know. And because of that, we know that he overcame death And listen, it doesn't have just implications for Jesus himself. It has implications for us as believers. The resurrection means so much for you and for me because it means we are now participants in what Christ did. According to Romans, you and I were joined to Jesus in his death, and you and I were joined to Jesus in his resurrection. For those of you who have been baptized in here, the imagery of you going under the water is you being joined to Christ in his death as you go under the water. And so your old life and your old man and your life in Adam, it is put to death permanently. And you coming up out of the water, you are now a new creation. And listen, it is no longer you that live, but now Christ that lives in you. You actually are resurrected through the life of Christ. That's the picture of baptism. It's awesome. And so now what it means for you is that everything that you were before is actually done and and done away with. It is past tense. Anytime you read about your old man in the Bible, it is used in a past tense term. And anytime you read about your life in Christ, it is used in a present tense term, meaning not future. And so what God is saying is he's saying right now, (laughs) you have been taken out of Adam and you have been placed in Jesus And everything that you were prior to Christ, you are no longer, though you may feel like you are. You're just acting like someone you're not, actually. And everything that you are now is everything that he is, whether you feel it or whether you believe it. And so what you can do if you're a type A personality is you can begin accepting what is true about you. You can begin reckoning as true what is true about you. In Romans 6, it says this. Hold on one second. It says, in the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Count yourselves. That word count is an accounting term. It means to reckon or to reconcile. It means to acknowledge as being true. And so what he's saying is he's saying count yourself as dead to sin. Before that, in verse uh, 10, it says Jesus died to sin and now is alive to God. (laughs) And so because you are no longer in Adam, you are now dead to sin, amen, and alive in Christ. And so you can wake up every morning now and you can be like, cool, Satan, but I'm dead to sin and I'm alive in Christ. And you would be right. I'm dead to sin and I'm alive in Christ. I'm dead to sin, I'm alive in Christ. I'm actually dead to sin, and I'm alive in Christ. I'm actually dead to sin, I'm alive in Christ. I'm actually dead to sin, I'm alive in Christ. And you reckon as truth what is true about you. This isn't something you have to earn, you just have to receive it as a gift. Listen, during the Emancipation Proclamation, I've told this before, they released, they they told every single slave in America that they were free, (laughs) that they were free. And yet there were slave owners who, like, told them it was a lie. They're like, that's not true. That's not true. So you can't believe it and don't leave our farm, okay? Like, just keep working. And then there were slaves who thought, and this is what we think as Christians, this is too good to be true. It's too good. There's no way. I don't believe it. And so they stayed in bondage. Listen to me. Even though, by the law, they were free. And I wonder tonight, If there's a whole bunch of Christians who are acting and believing like they are in this, like you have no hope when it comes to defeating sin, like you have no energized life or power within you to defeat sin, like you have nothing going for you, and God's like, wow, you are acting like someone you totally are not when I have given you everything you need for life and for godliness. I've given you everything you need. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive in Christ. And God says, all you need to do is reckon this as true church. And so we receive it. We receive God's righteousness for us. And every day you wake up and you reckon things as true, even if you don't feel it. Emotions are not indicators of truth, church. So you wake up every morning and you say, I know who I am. I'm a son and I'm a daughter of God. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm holy and dearly loved. I have the power of the living God at work within me. I am now seated. I am now, you are actually present tense. I know this is crazy. Seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. I rule and I reign with him. I am a co-heir of Christ. This is who I am. And you reckon that is true about you. And listen, there is a person that you already are in Christ. And now you are just learning to live like that's true. And that is sanctification. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty pumped about it. The last thing that we do so that the world knows what he looks like, what he sounds like, how he talks, how graceful he is, how powerful he is, is that we remain in him until his scent rubs off on us. In Acts 4.13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The Sanhedrin, they completely shut up when these dudes spoke. They were shut up, they were stopped up, they were silenced by these men. 
And the thing that they said about John and about Peter is they said, whoa, like they have an authority and they have a power at work within them and they must have been with Jesus. Do you know what our hope here is at Red Rocks Young Adults? It is not that we have some awesome sermons for you or that we like impress you with our awesome words and with the things that we do in the awesome songs. It's that you would walk in and there would be a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Probably the best thing anybody can say to any one of us on staff is like, man, I feel God so strong here. Amen. You know what that means? That means that God is at work in this place and we are blessed. You know, Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul even said this. He said, I didn't even come. I didn't come with like persuasive words or like wise speech. I came with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, when we do that, we hope that we are the aroma of God to the rest of the world. Neuroscientists, they tell us that our sense of taste, that 80% of it comes from eating. And so 80% of what you taste comes from actually what you smell. And so what God is hoping for is that when you go out into your workplace, that you have spent so much time with Jesus and that you sound like him and that you talk like him and you act like him and you favor people the way that he favors people, that you actually kind of bring his aroma. And as you do, people are going to be naturally then thirsty for the water that doesn't run dry. They're going to actually be hungry for the bread of life. And they're going to be saving, savoring the thing that you have and that they want. God says, go then. Be imitators of God and be a fragrant offering to the whole world. When I was growing up, my dad, uh, he owns an excavating business. And he worked with his hands and he worked on cars and on big machines He loved being out in the field, even though it was his company. He loved being out in the field and actually working. And so when my dad would come home, he would smell like diesel. His hands were always super dirty. He would smell like diesel and dirt, always. And it was a very comforting, wonderful, safe smell to me as a little girl. And growing up, all I wanted to do was be like my dad, right? Like, all I wanted to do was be like my dad. And so I would, like, keep my eyes on him. And, like, even when I was, like, three and four, he would, like, take his shirt off in the garage. And so I was, like, you know, and I'd take my shirt off in the garage. And I'd get under, I'd, like, shimmy under a car with him. And he'd be, like, hold the wrenches, Jess. And I'd be, like, all right, you know, and I'd hold the wrenches and, you know, and he'd be like, all right, now I need you to hold this piece and whatever. And we'd build, rebuild carburetors together, the whole thing. You know, like we'd just sit out there for hours. And when I would come inside, I would smell like my dad. I think we overcomplicate our religion too much. We overcomplicate this thing too much. <laughs> he just wants to be with you. He just wants to sit in a garage with you and you're going to feel like you rebuilt that car and you're going to feel the victory of when that engine starts but listen you're actually not going to have very much to do with whether or not it runs it will be all his power but you know what he wants you to actually come into the garage and work with him and so if everybody could stand tonight Jesus didn't just die to save you. It's nuts. He died to give you his life. I don't know anybody like this. I don't know any 
I don't know this kind of sacrifice in this world. He didn't just die to save you. He died to actually give you everything that rightfully belongs to him. His inheritance and his righteousness and his glory for you. And all we have to do is receive it, to reckon it as real and spend time with him. And so with every head bowed, I just want to know, if you're in here and you don't know this God that loves you so profoundly and so deeply, maybe you've been wounded by your father. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe tonight you're even thinking, man, I don't think I can do this anymore. He is for you, not against you. He is in your corner. He does every move that he's made since the beginning of time has been for you. And so if you're in here and you're like, man, I would love to receive Jesus, not just as my Savior, but as my life, would you just raise your hand really nice and high to him? Amen. God, we thank you for every single person in here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that, man, we can reckon now as real everything that you've done for us. God, we thank you that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. I thank you that every single person that's in here that raised their hand, God, that you say we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That you came to rescue us, you came to redeem us, and you came to live in us. And God, I pray that we would just know you more tonight. That as we worship you, you'd envelop this, pl- excuse me, this place. And for the people who got saved, God, I just thank you. May you teach them the Christ life tonight without them having to work for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.